every word I say, I'm like, wait, man, you got to think about that from the other perspective. Hey, this is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Welcome back for another for another hang. Thanks for coming by. Welcome to the laboratory, <laughs> the laboratory. Uh, special thanks, as always, <laughs> to our backers on Patreon who throw us as little as a dollar an episode to keep this stuff, Yay. stuff rolling. Um, basically, at this point, if you jump in at a dollar an episode, you get an invite to our Slack channel where you can... Ooh, it's juicy in there. Which is, for people that aren't familiar, Slack's essentially just a chat program. It's um, just like it's, social media in there, but it's just people we invite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Share what you want, say what you want, but if we don't like it, we'll disagree. And then um, kick you out. Just kidding. No, I, we've never yeah. kicked anyone. We've never had to kick anyone There's out. no need to kick anyone out. It's all our but friends. We right reserve now. the right. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Please sign here. Uh, so part of the awkwardness of this intro is the fact that I don't think we've recorded in like six weeks or something. We got our, our, our production workflows on point, but that means now we can take big breaks sometimes to do stuff. A break's good. We recorded intensely for like <laughs> six weeks or something. We did like 10 episodes in, in a very short period of time. So I think the most recent episode to our dear listener at this point will have been uh, that cool one we did with Lara. Oh, yeah, um, with Lara Goldfarb. Talking about PR and stuff. Are we supposed to say people's names? Yeah. Certainly in her context, she has a business where she wants people (laughs) to hire her. Okay. (laughs) You work in PR. It's okay to know your last name? Got it. Um, That was a really fun episode. It's okay to make her look upable. Yeah, that last last, uh, episode was really, really fun conversation. I love that she started with, I have a bone to pick with you guys. Yeah, that was great. That I thought of while I was meditating on your episodes this morning. I was like, all right, you're going to be the perfect guest. <laughs> you you lit up as a host. <laughs> you're here to argue with me, but you meditated on it first. <laughs> Keep telling me that the, you had the best conversations with her when I was in the bathroom, which means they probably mostly got cut. Oh, bummer. We were just making fun of you. Actually, I don't remember because I was like, there was actually one of them where I could hear myself peeing in the background. I was like, yep, that one's not staying. No, bathroom sounds. (laughs) That's a new thing for you to edit on. It's usually Um, talk of the bathroom. Okay, so so with our own episodes at this point, we're still chasing that. We did experts. We did experiments. But what we're really chasing is this broader scientific method thing. But we thought another part that I think is relevant in here is this idea of like, okay, so how do you tell people about experts and experiments in a way that, that you know, primes them for this, for this to take part in the scientific method piece that we've been talking about in yeah, these with, running episodes? With all that talk of what is an expert and what's the point and who is an expert and then how do you do expert experiments is that that's not quite right but where does where are you left with that right you're left kind of with how do we educate ourselves how do we learn about stuff how do we teach things the, the place i'm <laughs> the place i'm thinking of going to start this cuz this 
it constantly comes up by name and it's a and it's a significant reference point for both of us but i also feel like relevant to the idea of just our our experience with education versus what we have seen so many of our peers describe mm-hmm. as we've sort of continued to bump into people that are like high level programmers at successful companies and stuff are a lot of our peers like they didn't have the same educational experience that we did and every time we talk about that it comes back to this one class that we took in eighth grade called math science math science it was two periods two periods a day you had it twice but it was but it was one combined class that was just called math it was math and science did it, it took the place of our science class and our math class that year, right? Yeah, yeah. So t- tell me what math science was. Oh, man. You know, I I talked with the teacher over email a couple times uh, a few months ago. Uh, someone from school sent out his contact information, and I was so joyed to get that information so I could say something to him. Uh, man, it was just, it was such a impactful class. I, I told him in my email that it was, in my memory, it was the first real, it was the first like engineering class I ever took. And I don't mean that it was deeply technical necessarily in the sense that like a college engineering class was, but it it just layered everything in. It it didn't follow a structure like any other class I'd ever had. It, everything we looked at was related to math and science, but it just it I feel like I had 50 mini classes in one year. We did programming for a month. We all would just we programmed stuff on our calculators. In part because it was 2 hours a day. Like it filled our math and science periods in a in a day of 8th grade curriculum that was two classes a day so we would be in the middle of a conversation and he'd be like we'll pick this up at three and it was split and we would come back at three and do it again that made a big difference i think too to the structure don't you think because i remember long block classes where you're like stuck in a class for an hour and a half or two hours or something this was split up enough so you're like you're getting a taste and then you go about the rest of your day after having these really just all the conversations were so different. They were all over the place. And you'd come back later having then been thinking about other stuff in relation to that. And you get to pick it up again. It, there's something different about that than just like day to day pick it up. But the class, I mean... We also did a lot of projects. We did so many projects. Which is that <laughs> projects are, are fun. I love activities. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that whole... So what... What was your favorite project? Oh, God, it's tough. I mean, we are my favorite project, probably the programming. I mean, we I remember really enjoying and really excelling at programming my calculator, and I felt really good about it. And I remember seeing other people struggle with it and being able to like sit down and work through it with them. And I remember it was a very collaborative project. And it was a very cool project because something about that class, something about the way our teacher taught it... Uh, in, imbued a just an, an a ton <laughs> ah, a lot of cooperation and like group teaching we sat down with each other to learn how to do things and we helped each other out with stuff which i remember very vividly this conversation i can even picture our teacher for some reason can i say his name i can even picture mr christie speaking about this we were talking about bernoulli and kind of the struggled look on his face he had described to us like the underlying principle 
of why Bernoulli's why like lift works on planes and then we just spent the rest of the period asking ourselves why like well why does it work that way why does our universe happen why does air flow that way and then so not only we we talked about like the science the history the philosophy and then we just went to the gym and we built paper airplanes which for the most part operate on different principles but the fun was there the engineering was there it was like this this amazing dance between all these topics and it just there was there was it was so interesting i felt like he he his class did a really good job of touching each student in a way that engaged them with the same topics yeah my favorite was I don't know that it was an official project. It's a class where we we learned in that class. I don't remember if we motivated it ourselves because we were like, hey, we want to play with this stuff. And he just ran with it or if it was a unit. But that's where I learned to... That was my first exposure to programming. We were at that age starting to play with the fact that you could program your like TI-82 cal- like calculators to play like frog games yeah. and stuff. And so I think our answer to everything was, can I try to make a program to do that? And he just went, yeah, okay. So in that class, like I learned the process for factoring polynomials, a complicated, time-consuming, manual process, by learning how to make a, an app so that I would never have to do that again. <laughs> a calculator app. It worked. It worked. But it took longer it took about an hour to factor a polynomial which if you know how to do it takes like a half hour but if you don't know how to do it it takes forever (laughs) don't know how to do it you have to learn all of the math that you first have to understand before you can just do it but that was part of it as well right like this there was a lot of we would come to him instead and go hey instead of the thing that you said to work on i had this idea and he would sometimes say okay like, like me and the guy, the guy that I worked on that program with and I <laughs> avoided like two other projects because it took so long to get this computer program to work. And that was fine. We were still That's just probably working great. Thing. Like, what are the odds you're going to learn all three Skip of those things homework. anyway? Might as well just <laughs> learn one better. I don't, to this day, know how to factor a polynomial. Of course not. Why would you? But I have at least seven devices within my at my fingertips <laughs> that could do it for me. You don't even have to touch it. You can just tell it to from where you're standing. And the only reason you could tell me that those might fail me one day doesn't matter because you don't need to know how to factor a polynomial. <laughs> Unless our power grid goes down and then we're all fucked. We won't. No one's going to be factoring polynomials then. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're you're just feeling out the flight path of an arrow. You're not you're not fat. You're not calculating the the you better, volume under the curve. <laughs> you better calculate that volume under curve real fast when an arrow is coming at you. <laughs> but so I think that gets us into sort of an introduction for what is steam, right? Which is I think the title of this whole thing. Because you've got to talk about the education piece of what we do with the experiments and the experts and the stuff that we talked about in the other episodes. I think I think our math science class was an was a brilliant representation of what the modern STEAM movement is trying to get across. It's that kind of cross disciplinary appreciation of all the topics, 
uh, dive into the things that are functional and then like show that they're functional, which is what a lot of science and math does, right? But it doesn't always do it in a way that intrigues people, right? Like just sitting down and doing algebra, that doesn't that doesn't get a lot of kids excited. Um, but going and building airplanes does. So you got to throw that in sometimes. Steam as a branding opportunity is sure cooler than STEM. <laughs> but both of them are acronyms. What, what does it stand for? Uh, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And, and I know art for a lot of people, it started as STEM without art, but very quickly, I think we realized, well, shit, art is really important to all of this because art is really just another word for creativity and you can't discover things and you can't build things without creativity. So then the question, so, so what we're talking about on expert on experiments, the through line in, in all that stuff to try to get us to scientific method. I feel like you can't move forward with that without talking about where the experts in the experiments are popping up. Certainly you could say they're showing up in the media and things like that, right? Like we have in the past when we talk about statistics and things like that. But I want to go even further back. It's like, why do people trust those things? Like why, what's the, and I think it, 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 it gets us to education, right? Like I want to dig in on one of the things that I think we said we really shouldn't teach kids anymore. Oh, and that's history. Oh, um, sorry, professor, not professor. Cause I think the level at which history is an interesting one to talk about is, is, is younger. Sorry, sir. Levels of history. Because largely the conversation that we had before was about the time frame that it takes someone to have experienced enough life to understand the context of history. <laughs> and so, like, so, so the idea would be, okay, you do that later. But the fact is, like, history is, is stories, and history is connected to us in a way that if you don't, if you don't talk about history at a young age, someone will. And it might be a it might be some weird shit. <laughs> where, That's such a where weird you get to college and you go, oh my God. <laughs> Not everyone thinks that you know, like the uh Not no. everyone thinks the cavemen hung out with Brontosauruses, Brontosaurus eye, Brontosauri, T Rexes too scientific raptors no one's te- that we do no one's teaching you the right thing that's why the independent verification of science is so important math just works no one's disputing two plus two equals four you can't do it um i can dispute the moon landing all day so 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 the thing from that coming off the stories thing right like if somebody doesn't tell the stories of how you got to be there then someone will and that's where history slots in. That's where like genealogy slots in. Like there's all these conversations that people want to have and information about themselves that they're interested in, even from a young age. So to some extent, you have to supply that stuff, I think, to help out. But it gets into this weird squishy space, like so much of the stuff we talk about, because, okay, you need to know history which we would love to think is just a reporting of the news 
so that you can understand the events that got us to where we are. It's sure helpful to have a common account of those facts (laughs) if you... If you're trying to achieve any sort of, you know, problem. But like you said, how how do you... I think history and literature uh, in for kids uh, really serves the same purpose. And it's really just to be exposing the person to something that they can't experience right now. You read books about people whose lives were very different than you or who lived in different times or you read about the policies and politics of the 17th century and how your country was founded and you read that stuff because you want the person to start to realize there's so much more going on in the world than the little things that are happening back in their home and that's important for opening up a young mind to the idea that there's all this stuff to go explore and check out. And so we get kind of caught up there in the same place where we get caught up with all academic topics, which is, well, now that I've taught you this, I need to like judge you and rank you and grade you on it. So I just... There's nothing else to judge and rank you on, so I'm just going to have to judge and rank you on whether or not you memorized the things you read last night, which is unbelievably infuriating for children. And I don't believe that there's anyone on earth who doesn't feel that way after having taken like multiple choice tests in history. It's like, man, you just gave me these cool stories and I might have enjoyed them, but now you're stressing me out, man. I don't need to remember what color Andrew Jackson's shoes were. It just doesn't matter right now. If it matters in a conversation later, I'll go look it up. People that are really good at multiple choice questions, tests, <laughs> of which there are a lot, and they are powerful. A lot of tests are a lot of people that are good at them. A lot of people that are good at them. They are powerful. It's true. They would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care what color their shoes are either. How about that? Um, what a dumb example of a question on a multiple choice. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not a professor. <laughs> um. Well, you're right. So that's all when you're talking about grading, the purpose of that grading is just to move the system forward. But in order to measure something, you have to you sort of influence it because it's like now that's what you're being scored on, memorizing shit. Well, right? the continuation so, of that over into the other side of the STEM and STEAM space, the science and and math space is that testing that actually measures something that is necessary to move forward. I, you can make this argument more abstractly about history. I need to understand the 41st president to really be able to dig in and understand the 42nd president, right? But it's very, that's a very different, that's a different buildup than saying, I need to understand addition before I can figure out and understand subtraction or multiplication, Right. It's a different it's a different foundation. You absolutely can't do algebra if you don't understand addition. There is no abstracting. I can't go read an algebra book and be like, oh, okay, this makes sense if I don't understand addition first. Whereas I can kind of understand what was going on geopolitically for the 42nd president if I didn't read about the 41st president. Which is an interesting it's an interesting thing to the extent that later in a history career, I think you would 
if that's what you were interested in continuing to study, you would eventually say, no, you do need to know those things because you need to understand the geopolitical context of whatever's happening. But that's not really a career. And it's not really Too far. It's not really useful. It doesn't, Even if you wanted it to be your career, you can't produce, do anything with it when you're 18. It doesn't produce real economic value, which is the the point of a lot of the argument that more kids should be taught science and technology, which, again, philosophically, isn't necessarily the point of our lives. But in the structure that we exist in, if we want our economy to be strong, if we want to make America great again, we need to fucking teach kids how to do things that create real value. And history is valuable to me, but it doesn't correlate to our country being strong with dollars and everyone having a big screen TV. So much of my upbringing was, my education upbringing was not science, was not math. Almost zero of it was programming. And now that's what I do all day, every day. And I'm like, I'm angry partly because the things I really loved as a kid were these things. And if someone had said, okay, you don't have to go to history anymore. We're going to slot in a programming class. I would have been like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. (laughs) But what if they said, but know that you're going to have to do the history before you can graduate out of this program and have this certification. Make me program the fucking history. Make me program a history textbook. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right? So that's like part of the question. There's so we're no, talking like, about the value of history. There's no But like the way that both of us experienced history was kind of like, here's a bunch of facts. Go write a research paper. Like sort of targeting higher education tasks. But it was never like make an Oregon Trail video game that tells the tale of the Oregon Passage. Like I got to tell you, Mike climate change video game idea. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the way that I remember a lot of things is I just, like, I'm totally self-taught on everything. And the way that I jump in is I just go, hey, here's a complicated thing I want to make on Photoshop. And then I burn some extra hours figuring out how to do it because because it's interesting. And I bump into history while I'm doing that, right? You could... You could force people to bump into history as they learn math, right? Like it, it, I think it was the strength of the, the strength of our math science class was the combination of these things into a more nuanced way of thinking about this stuff. That was such a great class. You should just have class one, class two, class three, <laughs> class four, I, t- class I kind of five agree. in a day. And each of them has a different teacher and they're trying to do a different thing, you got no fucking idea what it is. Why does why do we call it English? Why do we gotta call it literature class? It's so right? limiting. It's like, <laughs> by siloing all of those things, you're 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 doing a disservice to the whole thing. But there's a piece that you can't deny about STEM, which is because it's science-based, because it's based on this this method we keep getting to with the experts and the experiments and the golden rule that you're just always trying to disprove everything. STEM subjects, because they're built on science, which is essentially like a data-based approach, you have much better ways of applying. It's like a, a gradient, like, like a gradient of truth, like a value, like a, you know, like a, uh, if the point of the system is to measure 
how someone's doing at an education process. What does that mean that the education process is? And then STEM, like STEM produces better workers for the jobs that are going to exist because uh, in part, because it's better at picking the people that are good at it with just data, right? Like you can have multiple choice questions on a computer science test because there are right and wrong answers. Like, no, this wouldn't solve the problem in the code. It's a yes or no answer if you don't fix it, right? right? I mean, to some degree. I think there's... Sort of this binary aspect to science that means you can sort of treat the process through the education or education, or not education, but what we would think of as education, which is also a dual certification process. Yeah. Like, of course it favors them. It's a lot of things at once. Because you can use data to analyze everything that you do and make decisions based on on probability and efficacy until you get to the edge where we don't know the answer, and then your job is to write papers about what we don't know. And and throw out theories for other people to test all the way down the all the way down the cascade. I I know this is this is entirely my perspective and so I want to make sure I'm presenting it as such but I I always feel like I'm uh spinning my wheels a little bit and not accomplishing something when I'm reading about history and when i'm reading fiction books it's it's something i do to relax and to wind down and to like fall asleep at night if i read a science-based book if i read something about engineering or technology i can't go to sleep i know that's that's me being interested i'm sure there are a lot of people who are reading uh great novels and who are also just as engaged um but from a like practical doing perspective in like a uh like a modern industrialized world a fictional story about someone else's life doesn't move that business or technology forward man my brain's really struggling to take any particular side here because now i'm like but wait i'm like married and have a family and i should read about how to have a loving household and stuff oh man uh well and that's again i think (laughs) that gets you to an interesting place though which i think is the frustration that there are places that the the things that i consider philosophical problems exist in the space where you're just immeasurable you can't you can't the process of what you were just talking about like have a better relationship is an all meat space process and it's right. a forever like there's unsolvable. There's so much right? data you can pull out of that, and it's forever unsolvable. The answer is work hard always. You're just... I don't know what works for you otherwise we beyond can. that, right? So STEM education is not going to have you ha- help you have a happier marriage. I guess, that do- I guess that is kind of the story here, though. If we go back... We were talking about something before we started recording, I think, called like a truth gradient, where you have sort of... This this chart, imagine there's like a side that is the truth and there's a side that's not not untrue, but it's things we can't figure out. We don't know yet. So in the truth area, we have things like two plus two equals four. We have things like 
the earth spins around the sun, right? Which wasn't always in that truth section. We didn't know for a long time. So it would have been over in the we don't know section. And then for like the Middle Ages, when we were persecuting scientists for studying this stuff, it was in this middle gray space where we're like, ah, we still don't know, but some people think they know and other people think they know and they disagree and we're going to kill each other over it. That's the history of our of our planet, of our species, of our universe. And we seem to have, whether it's us as humans, uh, which means it's us as the universe, there's this desire to reach over into that unknown area and pull stuff into the truth. We want to push it along the truth gradient. This is like an underlying principle of the universe. And science, the way we do science and the buildup to experts and STEM education and technology and our iPhones and satellites and space travel, that is helping us pull more things across that gradient from we don't know to truth. And ultimately, there's a philosophy that I think I believe that if we pull enough things over, we'll be able to pull everything over. And so we're at a point right now where if you're in the self-help section reading about how to have a happy marriage, that is so wildly complex. It's such a high-level topic that we can't apply math to it very well yet. We apply statistics, but statistics is a different type of thing. And so it's starting, those really big questions have kind of started to move into the middle section where we're like, well, some people know, some people think they knew. Freud thought he knew everything, and now everyone thinks all of his ideas were wrong. But it's floating around in the, we kind of know space. We're starting to figure it out. And if you don't start with the fundamentals in that, that's what we're trying to do in the world. That's what we're trying to teach. And if so if you don't start with the science and the tech, you can't pull that other stuff over. It will always be in the meat space. It will always just be philosophy. At some point, one would hope that maybe we'll figure out what we are. And people present ways to know that. There's the idea of enlightenment. There's the idea of heaven and hell. But maybe we'll figure that out on Earth because we've taught kids about science and because we've successfully moved these beautiful questions across this truth gradient from we don't know to here's what we really think we know. Here's what we really think it is. And that's where we that's where happiness is, I think. But while while doing that, you can't deny the fact of needing to teach people about the intangible piece. It needs to be presented that way. The thing I keep thinking the whole time that you're talking about that, though, is like, if you think about what history is, it's the stories of the people at the edge, right? Like, it's there are these yeah. histories crafted by the people in meat space that are doing doing good at persistence, right? <laughs> you know, like so, I, you know, and it's but it, it the frustrating idea behind this the steam idea it's why a makes it into the stem to become steam education right it's like you can't deny this weird piece of it okay so to what extent then is like history specifically like if you're teaching history how do you treat that with regards to the the truth gradient because history seems to be about the people that you seem to most admire. I mean, personally, like Picard is a guy that gets out front and explores some shit and all we got are stories. And he references a lot of history. <laughs> I think the importance here is 
it's not so much don't teach history, but it needs to be taught in the context of, like everything, it needs to be taught in the context of what we really understand about it and how it fits into our world. History... Which is also the leading edge of science, right? Like, science research papers are about this does this and impacts the world. I have an idea, and I'm seeing, I'm going to try a way to test it so we can maybe get some better numbers. But it's still, like, I still think the thing that fires you up about Steam is in that same space in terms of it's, you're still chasing the edge, right? Space is the edge of, like, hey, let's use everything we've ever learned from science and from making smartphones and try to send a thing further away from Earth than we ever have before, particularly starting with us and the birth of science fiction. Like, there's a level to which we look at our heroes from the stories and we go like yeah that's something to aspire to like exploration seems to exist at the edge of all these things whether they're meat space or or yeah. the top of science yeah exploration. but to get to the top of science where it seems really super satisfying because you're like i got an answer and it's right <laughs> as far as i can possibly make it it'll be right in until my life. i die and then someone will prove me wrong um, so when you talk about it, like a, an education system to an extent, we're talking about how do you offload a process by which to get people up to a place where they feel like they're exploring always as effectively as possible. Steam seems to do that. And also, you seem to make a lot of money if you focus on Steam things. That's a good combination. To achieve Steam, though, to what extent do you have to counter bad programming coming from other directions? Like ill-informed blogs that affirm your worldview. Because in the modern world, they're going to encounter that. So if you're talking about a public education, the idea is everyone gets an education part of it's got to be debugging the system, right? I mean, that's... I guess part of our desire <laughs> to educate with science and technology uh, in those subject areas is so that we can affect history, right? It's so that that person can go contribute in a way that makes a difference to our timeline and changes things in a way that is important to them so that people in the future can read about their life uh, and see what they've done and see the changes and see the impacts that they've had. Uh, they're, they're inexorably. That's a word, right? That is a word. And what does it mean? That's a good <laughs> one. Define, I feel like I want to use it here. Inextricably. Inextricably. They're inextricably connected. Inexor inexorably is the right word to use. Wait, were they the same word? You were just pronouncing it differently? Yeah. No, no, different <laughs> word, same meaning. Too many letters for me to think without seeing it. They're inexorably connected. Inexorable. They're unseverable. They're inseverable. They're unseparable. They're in own <laughs> own the big one. Own the college They're level word. They're inexorably connected. <laughs> <laughs> we can't learn. Even even learning math is referencing your own learning history, right? 
Well, part of it is, like you referenced before, it's a... Where I think this really goes off the crazy, like, deep end of the place where these two things meet, which is what we're always chasing here, is we seem like we're obsessed with history. And this ties into the stuff from our AI episodes where we built this machine to record this stuff with a level of fidelity where you can start to, back to a certain date, really effectively verify things that happened in history that resulted in other things. Mm -hmm. And you can start to apply this sort of steam scientific methodology to these problems that used to be meat space problems. Yeah. And at the upper end, that's going to have to be a blog post instead of this. This is why the obsession with blockchain is taking hold because it's a way to, with an even greater fidelity, just fucking record everything so we can run algorithms on it all the time. That's a great, a a great layering of what we've been talking about, right? We always talk about the idea of reproducing reality. That is what, that's like the epitome of all of our technologies. Our cell phone is literally just a bunch of sensors to record everything that's going on in our reality. And what other purpose do you have for that than to record history? Which gets weird because so what happens weird. when you get to a place where you can process history with math and the answer is binary? Then you're going to be able to process like, the future. That seems to be what we're chasing. And at that point, you would be exactly... It seems like from there you'd be able to extrapolate fairly effectively. At least you would know the statistical, <laughs> like you would know the statistical certainty of your of your algorithm at all times. Nice soft way to put it, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll know pretty sure where every atom will be. Every atom. That's a d a m. Every possible. Every possible every po- atom. <laughs> but also every possible atom. Atom. Hmm interesting place right and we got there from steam my mind's blown a little bit the the circle (laughs) that we just did to layer to kind of swap me and i gotta be honest i'm stoked about where we ended up i I can't remember how we got i don't know either i really like where we just went (laughs) so the question is if you're dealing with the truth gradient and trying to build a system where you're collecting data and you're responding to it to make people happier. Part of that is they need to they need to contribute to the economy, which also, if it's done right, seems to make people happier to have a project to work on. People seem happier when that project is out in this exploration territory where they dream of becoming part of history. So you, you need to teach all that stuff. There's just... It, it's just an extent to which it doesn't feel like a satisfying way to do it currently. It's sort of, I guess, where we end up with most of those education things is like, I know about all these cooler ways to track behavioral analytics that we use on the web all the time. And the idea that they're not using them with all kids all the time to try to maximize happiness is, I'm like, oh, what do you build to do that? Well, can you do that? We have I, uh, we have the luxury of as adults of kind of owning your own education. You know, you're you're 
kind of responsible for being your own teacher. You're your own professor. You're your own guide. You're your own dean, right? You went through school, wherever you ended up, and now you're out on your own. And it's your job, if you're interested in something, to go figure it out. It's your job, if it's going to further your career, to go figure it out. It's your job, if there's a problem at home, to go figure it out. And and we built a killer engine for going <laughs> to figure it out. It's the magic Google. Let me Google that for we you. We mostly use it for cat videos. Oh, but... man. We have specialized search engines for cat videos. That's how important they are. <laughs> and... In that world as an adult where you're guiding your own education, you have this unique perspective of, well, wait, why don't we just do it the way that works for me? Whereas when we're educating a classroom full of people, we have to cater to a group in a way. We have to average out certain things we have to focus on one area even though we know it's not helping some of the students and we're in a time period now though where that is shifting very rapidly and i certainly don't know what the right move is nobody knows what the right move is right now there's a lot of interesting stuff happening but the the piece that's i think really important is to capitalize on the joy if you capitalize on people's joy as much as you possibly can, I think you get the most productivity out of them, which is like a joy-stealing way to put that, I think, a little bit. But people feel good when they're productive, when they feel like they're getting somewhere. And so if you continually like realign that productivity with the joy, you end up in a really magical place. And I think with children, you have a special opportunity because... They don't really have responsibilities. They're they're inherently curious. Like you have to never mind a a human child and the impressionability and all that kind of stuff, right? Like just think about what a young life form is doing. <laughs> oh, I touched that thing and it hurt. That means it might kill me. I'm going to not do that again. Oop, now I'm going to run over here. Right? You were built to your core for just absorbing new things and trying to form a world view around them. And there are many, there's a TED talk that I love about how modern schools kill creativity because they're basically built around industrial, industrial revolution ideas of how your day should be and the skills you should have. Like they, they beat that creativity out of you. You're definitely and uh, you're definitely like purposefully uh encouraged to be less creative in a lot of ways. And I don't think that's any teacher's goal. And I think the hindsight view that makes a lot of sense. We kind of built this around the industrialized world. Um but you're right. It's you're you're stifled a little bit. Sit in your chair. Don't sit in the recycling bin. Sit in your chair. <laughs> but Mr. Christie kind of let Ben that was pushing Mr. Christie's limits math science the most like open-minded class he's like you cannot sit in the recycling bin that is the limits you've, you've reached my maximum <laughs> <laughs> my maximum flexibility within uh, you're, you're, you're taking away from the other students value in this class now um, that said my recollection is that Ben spent a lot of classes sitting in the recycling bin because eventually he would go fine. He did and just teach his class. He did. And then I also remember that Ben went from 
struggling to like focus and enjoy what he was doing to getting some of the top grades in the class on stuff. He got he something about sitting in the recycling bin was like, man, I just need to be myself for a little bit. I got to do something that I'm not into this stuff. (laughs) I need to be weird for a minute so I can focus. And I think it brought him joy and it brings me joy. Every person at class right now, I bet that's one of their most vivid memories is Ben like slamming the recycling bin down so it would squish into the like structured chair desk thing that we sat in and then hopping in it and squatting like Gollum. (laughs) It was amazing. Also, he tried different versions of it. He also put his whole desk (laughs) into a larger recycling bin (laughs) that was in the corner. You know, like one of those like four by five, you know, crates. Oh yeah, slam the lid shut. It. I'm in here. I'm in here. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> okay, I don't. I I will readily admit that I do not have a nuanced understanding of education policy, but the conversation around steam ends up in that math science place frequently, relative to other ways of looking at this. Where it you it ends up being like a methodology more so than a if you're gonna try to inject art in there into the science technology and engineering piece, which is sort of the the precursor was about people need to understand the sciences better so we can achieve globally, and the steam movement is a little more like, yeah, but if no one is curious then we're not going to be very good at solving problems. <laughs> so we can't beat that out of Well, them. I think it's it's a rebranding, <laughs> right? I mean, it's that it's the classic trope of a kid who doesn't want to do math because it's like hard and boring, which it really it really can be if it's not presented, right? And so Steam is is it's it's this rebranding to kind of like pull it back towards the center and be like, "Hey, look at the stuff. Look at what's so fun about this." And it's it's so especially relevant today when half of what gets shared on social media is like pictures of outer space. That shit didn't exist in 1980. When I was born, the best photos of outer space were still just mostly dots with like occasional milky on social media. Right, and now pictures... Because we have science and STEM, like, but but we're realizing that you create this crazy ass technology to communicate with people on the back of these things we came to understand because of digging into the STEM stuff. And all that people seem to want to do with it is share art and right. shit. Pictures taken by satellites are shared. Have a look at it. <laughs> right. The art without the art, without the beauty and the joy and the, and the humanity, the humanities, of it, there's no purpose to it. Who cares about building a smartphone if you're not doing it to make people's lives better or to make them happier? Right. Yeah, and so so the idea when you say so, I, I think the place I was trying to go with that is when you when you go to that place of okay, this is a methodology with which we're gonna make a curriculum, which means you need to organize a person's day around educational experiences. Math science was probably the most effective thing I ever encountered. And it was this weird structure because it was two hours a day, split two hours. But then we were sort of given this free reign to do stuff within that territory. And it became more just like, "Eh, if you're applying this idea of here are the things we kind of need to cover by the end of this, 
yeah, I'll watch you. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, and so I feel like this, the, my stoke around steam, I think why this is all relevant to scientific method is because the whole thing started from this idea of let's be sciencey about this shit. And what we figured out is, man, when we get really sciencey on it, you have people share cat videos. <laughs> So there must be something important about those cat videos, <laughs> like this creation, like the creation. That's piece, what the cats want. This to exploration think. That's for piece, sure. right? When we build these devices for people to behave more easily, how they feel like behaving, they go make shit. Most of it's dumb shit, but that seems to be what they do. So I don't know. Let's 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 get out of here. <laughs> Go make some shit. <laughs> Go make some shit. Uh, what happened right there was I looked at the timer and I went, "Oh no, this has That's to too end." Long. <laughs> it's too long now. We've we've fluffed the cats too many times. Thanks for hanging out for another one of these. The fiftieth episode, we're doing the listener rants thing. So oh, yeah, go back and listen to Shorty Four. Send Shorty us four. send us your rants. Uh, but after that, the plan is to really try to jump off the scientific method cliff. And do an actual breakdown of like, here's what it is. Here's the sort of official statements that here's the infographic shit that we can. Here's how to apply this methodology. And here on the board, you'll see a diagram representing the scientific method. <laughs> hey, let's drag it out for another one. Thanks, everybody. Special thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon, who was sincerely that we're we're operating at zero loss at this point because of them Woohoo! and though they hang out in slack and they make our life it's nice to have friends in there hanging out chatting with us about stuff sharing links but i'm adam atom one of many possible mm, atoms and i am the one and only brian too weird i'm brian <laughs> <laughs> that's all great if i leave the whole yeah, thing yeah but uh, you have to <laughs> How much is education? How much of it to education is a debug script? How is that an <laughs> argument that I have never heard before? How has no one ever said we're teaching you history because your parents are going to teach you different history. bad history? <laughs> <laughs>